welcome to episode 166 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And we're back this week with some more Justice League. Yes. A very Wonder Woman focused episode here. Very Greek, not Greek mythology exactly. episode here. <laughs> uh, light Greek. Yes. yes. It's, a, it's as accurate as the Hercules film. Ooh. Ooh, <laughs> that's not a good place to start now, is it? I, mean, uh, I would say it's even less accurate than the Hercules film. I mean, probably. I think yeah. it probably would be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're talking Paradise Lost this week. But before we get to that, of course, we've got a little bit of news. Yeah. Um, and actually, a, a fairly decent split of Marvel and DC news this week. And yeah, and some Disney. It's, that's true. Unless we forget, there's always Disney news. There's always news. Disney news. Um, but why don't we start out with the WandaVision trailer, which uh, premiered during the Emmys, which I watched a little bit of. Did you okay. watch any of the Emmys? I did not. I heard it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was kind of odd. Because they sent like PAs or couriers or someone to deliver the Emmys to the residences oh, of the and they winners. Oh, like, they were like tuxedo hazmat suits. Uh, no, that was just for Shit's Creek. Okay. So I think I, it was. I think the way it worked was that they would send someone with the award, and then I get the impression that if they were trying to maintain any sort of like secrecy about who was the winner was, that they had the nominees like be locked away in whatever room they're broadcasting from. Up until the announcement, and then someone at that house would bring them the award. Okay. And so the, the whole cast and crew of Shit's Creek was together, and so they had a guy who was, uh, yeah, in a tuxedo hazmat suit to deliver all the awards. Okay. And they won numerous awards, which is pretty That's good. That's what I saw. Yeah. They, no, it, they swept. Yeah, it was a good year for... The shit swept. Uh, for, yes, the shit swept. Uh, Shit's Creek did very well. Watchmen did very well. Mm-hmm. And Succession, which I have not watched, did well. Yeah, the one slightly based off my mom. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it, it's about the. I mean, they kind of combined the Murdochs and the the Viacom family yeah. into making one fictional family. But the guys, um, one of the secondary characters is based off my mom. Really? Yeah. I have to watch this now. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. There's one specific. I think it's probably in the first episode or the second one. There's one very specific story my mom told me. She's like, "Oh yeah, that was me. That was my story." Um, okay, I have to go start watching this immediately. Yeah. I need to hear these stories. It's fantastic. What, what the fuck? Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> I love that you just keep these things in your back pocket. <laughs> yeah. Well, I need something to talk about when we're podcasting. Fair enough. My life's not that interesting. <laughs> well, don't worry. We're going to be talking Greek mythology later, so yes. you have plenty to talk about. Uh, but no, so the WandaVision trailer came out during the Emmys, and it looks great. Oh, I'm so excited for this. And they've confirmed that it is 2020. Yes, yeah, it'll be out. I don't think they've confirmed an exact date, but they it'll be out not. sometime this year, which is exciting. Well, we can guess Mando's coming last week of October. Yeah. And so it'll probably be six weeks after that. So I'm going to guess the yeah. second week of December is when it's going to come out. Yeah, probably right around the holidays. Mm-hmm. Be a good guess. Um, but no, I mean, it, it kind of confirms what we already knew about the show that it's like some sort of like weird, like reality bending thing where they're hopping through different eras of like sitcoms mm-hmm. together. We got a couple shots of both of them in like their comic accurate costumes, which is pretty cool. Them in their Isle of Lucy costumes. Yes. It, it just looks so weird and different than anything else we've had in the MCU yeah, so far. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah. What are your theories? I, I'm kind of not going down the theory path okay. quite so much. This, this is one where I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to go in and, and, uh, and sort of enjoy it. I mean, like I, uh, in a pinch, I'd say it's probably 
something has happened to Wanda and she's creating these different realities. Mm-hmm. She actually, like at least in the comics, has reality altering powers. Right. And so they might be leaning into that aspect. Of it. I think it's probably more her than like, it's maybe that or like, you know, as Vision is dying, he's going through stuff. But I feel like that maybe has less like narrative weight and interest and stakes than something on Wanda's Yeah, because I, I was, I, I had the similar thought. I think it's, Shuri is rebuilding Vision through Wanda's memories. Oh, that could and be. And something yeah. goes wrong while she's like trying to imagine the vision she wants. Oh, okay. Yeah, that could be cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, because I'm trying to think of like the reality bending. If it is a villain, who are the villains that aren't mutants? I don't know. Yeah, yeah neither do I. I don't know Marvel anything <laughs> ever. I, I know... A decent-ish amount. But yeah, I guess that is a good point. We don't really know who the villain is. Mm-hmm. It looks like Catherine Hahn's character might be in some sort of villainous role, possibly. I'm just happy that she's there. I, I love her so yes. much. She's in so many things. Yes. Um, but she's in Transparent. She was in uh, Step Brothers as like the, the sister-in-law. She was married to Adam Scott. She's like one of those like actresses that just pops up in all kinds of different places, but she's always excellent and super funny. Um, love her. So excited to see her and she might be the villain. I'm not quite sure. She'd be a good villain. Yeah. Um, no, I can't wait for it. Cause I think we've, I think they've confirmed now that Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be premiering. I think sometime maybe early 2021. I think that's the next one down the pipeline. Yes. Cause it was supposed to be this year. It was supposed to be May. Yeah. Oh God. That's <laughs> it was right. supposed to be August. Uh, God, well, that that still sets with our theory that we think something has to, something is happening in Black Widow to spark the start of the, that show. Yeah, oh, that's a good point because yeah, because we haven't gotten a release yet, so we don't yet know whether it's going to come out before or after Black Widow. But that does yeah. segue us nicely into our next little bit of news. Oh, like I planned it. Did you actually plan? No, that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't plan anything. You should just lie to me in these sort of things. Yes. You know? In the script, Chris. I'm so oh, I'm sorry. I I'm gonna be honest. I only like half read it this morning when I was on the pooper. Well, I know you put a lot of work into that this. script, but I I barely even glanced at it. <laughs> I'm taking the Bruce Willis approach here. It's fair. Yes, uh, but no, we did get confirmation that Black Widow has been definitively moved again. Uh, yes, uh, once again to now May seventh, twenty twenty one, from its November sixth, twenty twenty release. So we date. had three movies announced that are all getting pushed. Yes, exactly. So Black Widow is now going to be May of next year, um, and then Eternals is now moving to oh, moving from February to November of twenty twenty one, and Shang Chi is moving from May twenty twenty one to July. 2021 this is already getting exhausting to to talk about yes uh so you sent me a a very fantastic tweet the other day which points out that uh in the 22 month stretch we're gonna get oh no it's been 22 months it's been 22 months since endgame and we're gonna get nine mcu films over 17 months yes holy shit so which is i find so funny because i remember kevin feige making the grand announcement of like we're gonna slow down marvel for a minute like having two to three films a year is a little too much for us and too much for the fans we're gonna start like the one movie a year system again and like rev it back up well to be fair they did have that planned that way they they had they had dropped it back down to two a year and Mm -hmm. then because of this they had to push everything that was supposed to be this year to next year which means we're getting 
four films next year. Yeah, Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, and Spider and Spider-Man 3 yeah. are all still slated for 2021. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't really catch that. It's interesting that Eternals and Shang-Chi have swapped spots now. Oh, I didn't notice that either. Yeah. Eternals got because Eternals is supposed to be next after. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, and maybe then, they'll give them like a real press tour this time instead of last time. At D twenty three, the Eternals cast came out, stood there for two minutes, and then walked off stage. Well, to be fair, like they had what <laughs> just started filming. Yeah, yeah. Like, but Kumail was hot already. He could have just taken his shirt off. I mean, that would have made me go certainly. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're getting oh my god five five films in twenty twenty two. Thor 4, Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2, and an untitled film. Let's wait to see on those, I feel like. I would not be surprised if Black Panther 2 gets pushed now. Absolutely. Um, for obvious reasons. And then who knows what this untitled movie is. So, but look, it's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot in a very and, short and period of time. As, as you mentioned before, to me, privately, not on air. We don't, Cameron. Don't <laughs> don't trick our listeners into thinking we have a friendship outside of this podcast. Sorry, All sorry. right, yeah. This Trying is to purely, build this illusion. This is a purely incredibly unprofessional professional friendship. Yes. Yes. Um, this is just the films. Yeah. This is not including WandaVision and She Hulk, which was also announced last week, and uh, the other one we just talked about. Well, we got Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We got one. WandaVision, Loki, Loki, She Hulk. Yeah. At some point, we're getting Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's more that I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but it's which going to... someone rumored that Keanu Reeves might be Moon Knight, but there was also one point I think a rumor that Daniel Radcliffe was being considered. So who knows? Oh, I like that one better. Yeah, I would love it if if Daniel Radcliffe did. I also love it if Keanu did it. Yeah, I also so, know nothing about Moon Knight. Yeah, I just know he's like Psycho Batman. Yes, Psycho or Batman, mm-hmm. like split multiple personalities. Yeah. Uh, here, let's do the one last piece of Disney news here, and then we'll get into the uh, the DC stuff. So we did get some uh, a casting announcement for the next live action movie that Disney is going to uh, force upon us, uh, and it is that Yara Shahidi, uh, most famously of playing the daughter, the elder daughter in uh, Blackish, is going to be Tinkerbell. Yes, which I think is awesome. In a, in a Peter Pan film. Yes, Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. Thank you. Worth clarifying. Or Peter, uh, Peter Pan and Wendy. Peter Pan and Wendy. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Um, which I'm super on board with this because she's awesome. Have you Have you watched Blackish? I've not. I, I watched the episode of them in Disneyland. Okay, Disney World. World. Sorry, I forgot there are World. Episodes. Yes, it's one or the other with ABC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the majority of them are World. Only two of them are Land. Okay you're gonna do it anyways you want to give us a list no here? i don't remember them anymore i used to Cameron. have them on top of my head for shame <laughs> for shame indeed uh but yeah i mean look if we're gonna get this movie i'm at least happy that it's a good cast and i like her a lot she's really good in blackish good so yeah i feel like you have different thoughts not I, on her but on the uh, not the on her I, yeah. I i love the casting uh i'm excited to see her but i am exhausted of peter pan films which it feels very contradictory of how how much I like praised King Arthur and Robin Hood films back in the day, but we've had so many Peter Pan things just in the past like thirty years. Yeah. So I have a list. Oh God. I think since Hook, I think Hooks re revamped the the world for people because there wasn't a lot between the fifties animated film and and Hook, even though the first one was technically. Uh, a, a book clearly, but Paramount today, silent Peter Pan back in 1924. Um, 
We had Hook. We had the Peter Pan with Jeremy Sumter in 2003. We had Neverland in 2003. We had Pan in 2015. Um, and we have a Windy movie coming out this year. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Following a dark, gritty version of Windy. Cool. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and then an animation film. We had an Australian version of Peter Pan in the 80s. And then Re- Return to Neverland, the sequel in 2002. Then on TV, we had the Neverland TV series. Uh, Hallmark did a Neverland thing. Peter Pan Live in 2014. Peter Pan and Wendy in 2015. Peter Pan Goes Wrong in 2016. The New Adventures of Peter and Wendy in 2013. Uh, Peter Pan and the Pirates was a Fox series in the 1990s. And then, of course, the entirety of the Tinkerbell franchise which is Please, one, two, no, no, three, no, no. four, okay, five, six, seven films. <laughs> Thank you for not listening to them all. <laughs> um, uh, and the last God. one, which started in 2013 and is still going, is Jake and the Neverland Pirates. It's a cute Disney Junior show. Okay, great. Um, Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Better not cut out a minute of that. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. <laughs> There's so much Peter Pan content. There... There and is. the majority of it isn't great. No. Look, I I do... Uh, it's weird to say this. I do enjoy the Disney version, although it is deeply problematic. Yes. Um, even by Disney standards, it's deeply problematic. Yes. <laughs> Which is saying something. Um, I have a soft spot for Hook. Most people don't like Hook very much. Which is weird, because everyone I talk to loves Hook, and I feel like I'm in the minority. I think I think, I'm lukewarm for it. Right. I'm Luke Wilson of it. Of course. You but you came to it later on. You I saw it this year. Oh Jesus Christ camera. <laughs> okay. I think that's part of it. It's like I think those who like it, myself included, like it because of the nostalgia around it, watching it as a kid. Because it is a good kids movie. Mm-hmm. The the aesthetic and the world is very very bizarre it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like super mario that movie in terms of like yes why did you choose this aesthetic for this property it's very very weird it was someone was like hey i just i just watched warriors let's make that again yeah it's a little bit bizarre but it is steven spielberg and even his lesser films are better than most people's best um rob williams is great in it mm-hmm. as is dustin hoffman as hook uh, as is the great Bob Hoskins as Shmi, probably the best character in the whole thing. I mean, I do love me some Bob Hoskins. Oh, he's so fucking good. Some Eddie Valiant. Yes. Like, oh, and you know, um, who was Rufio? Dante Bosco. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> American Dragon, Jake Long, Dante Bosco. Yes. Zuko, Dante Bosco. Yes. Iroh from Korra, Dante Bosco. Thank you very much for all of that. Um, look, it's a great cast. Plus, we all know my greatest film weakness a good score and it has a great John oh, I need Williams to score. To it's okay. a great John Williams score. Oh, it's not score. Like that. Okay. Yeah, of course it is. It's even Spielberg. So like I have a sauce at that movie. I think that was probably the last of the Peter Pan movies that I have seen. Like I never saw Pan. I never saw Peter. I never, like I never saw the Jason Isaacs one. I never saw the, um, Jeremy Sumter one. The Jeremy Sumter one. I never, who the fuck is Jeremy Sumter? I don't know, but one of my friends is obsessed with him. What? Who's, Jeremy Sumter. I think he was like uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, but five years later. Oh, oh, okay. That's the same as the Jason Isaac one. Oh, then yes. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, he's oh he's my age. Oh, he was 
born in Carmel. Oh, look at that. I mean, he's very handsome. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Uh, anywho. Yeah, I feel like with it, Peter Pan, it's it's that and, and Wizard of Oz, I feel like, are the two just overly attacked franchises Well, now. are they both um, in the public domain? Mm-hmm. Look, I, I say this every time they announce another live-action Disney movie, which is like, oh, it's got a good cast. Uh, it's got a good director. This is David Lowry, who did Peace Dragon, which I really liked, actually. Okay. I thought that it was like a really tonally like consistent and sweet film. So I'm like, oh, there's like, good people attached to it, but it's still ended up being garbage, if we're being honest, at the end of the day. Because mm-hmm. most of them have been. Yeah, but Lindsay Sterling did one of the songs, and I really like her. She did one of the songs in... Peach Dragon. Oh, no, I liked Peach Dragon. Oh. Oh, you're talking about just in general. Yes. Yeah, most of them have been garbage. No, I, I quite liked Peach Dragon. Okay. I've never seen the original, but I've, I've kind of heard that they actually did a good job. Like mm-hmm. They improved upon the original in a lot of ways with the new one. That was very sweet. Okay. It's got Bryce Dallas Howard. It does. She's lovely. She is. Yeah. But she's also good at playing like terrible people. Yeah. She's a great actress. Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel like she, like her evil gets market corrected by, um, oh, what's her name? Jessica Chastain. Oh, God, I love me some Jessica Chastain, mm-hmm. too. Oh, I feel like they're so like the, the Jekyll and Hyde of each other. <laughs> I, I feel the, like I can't see Jessica Chastain playing a good person because that's just Bryce Dallas Howard. I suppose that's true. Yeah. But also sometimes Bryce Dallas Howard plays like the evil characters that would normally be taken up by Jessica Chastain. Well, it's probably because Jessica Chastain's busy. That's true. Yeah. I also feel like Bryce Dallas Howard plays characters you think shouldn't be evil but actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Anyways. Uh, who knows? This is probably going to be bad. Yeah. I think Mulan has officially broken me. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was already skeptical about all live action versions, but... Now I'm just like, now it just hurts. Let's just stop having hope. Yeah. I think as a general rule, we should just stop having hope. Yeah. Fuck Star Wars and all of their hope bullshit. It doesn't exist anymore. Not after this year. Oh, rebellions are built on hope. Um, all right. So then let's get into a little bit of DC news here. It was announced this week that uh, James Gunn is going to be doing a spinoff TV show from the Suicide Squad starring John Cena's Peacemaker for HBO Max. I don't know anything about that character. All mm-hmm. I know is that it's an HBO Max show with James Gunn and John Cena, and I think that combination alone probably makes me here for it. I also just realized that confirmed probably one big thing, that Peacemaker will survive Not necessarily. It could be a prequel. could be a prequel. could be a prequel. I, I have been um, reading uh, the New 52 Suicide Squad run written by Adam Glass to kind of like, you know, modernize the characters and mm-hmm. reintroduce Harley Quinn and stuff like that. It's so far has been pretty good. I think what's interesting is that they are definitely shameless in the comic about just killing people left and right. Good. And so I feel as like they should be as they really, with how short lived the new 52 verse was. Exactly. So I, I am excited for that aspect of the suicide squad movie that hopefully they're just going to be killing people all the time. Um, but I don't, I mean, this will probably be fun. Like there seems to be generally good stuff coming out about, that character in the movie, but also that's coming from the same people who are making the show. So it makes sense. They would maybe want to push that idea out there that he's yeah, really good. I don't, I don't remember them ever saying anything bad about Dawn of justice or justice league or any of those other movies. So, you know, maybe their word isn't super accurate. Yeah. Who knows? But also like who gives a fuck? It's probably gonna be fine. 
No, I think it'll be fun. I I, so. I trust John Cena now. I think he picks good things. And he's, you know, he's just a good actor. Yeah. That's the thing is I do like John Cena a lot. Um, so for that alone, it might be worth it. And and I don't think he's ever done a TV show thing. I feel like he's always been well, like... I mean, he, wrestling. Yes. Yeah. But that's not acting. That's real. Sure, Cameron. Sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, hopefully this will be good. Uh, and the last little bit here, we got casting confirmation in Black Adam for Hawkman. Yes. Who's going to be played by uh, Aldous Hodge, who, if you guys saw The Invisible Man, he played the... Because the best, like the, did you see the Invisible Man? I did not. It's actually, it's really movie good. Movie of the year because it's the only movie that came out this year. Pretty much, it actually is really, really good. It is not. It just went up on HBO Max. Yeah, it's not super scary. It's much more of a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very, very impressed by it. But he, he's like one of the main supporting characters now, like the, the kind of like the best friend. Um, and he's, he's good. I've, I think I've seen him in little things here and there. Um, yeah, I think it's a great casting choice. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Also, he's, he's absurdly handsome. Well, they all are. Yeah, but, like, he's particularly handsome. Like, look, I don't know what exactly they're going to be doing in terms of the the aesthetic from Black Adam. All we've got is little bits of, like, teases. How realistic do you want the costume? Or I'll, accurate? how give, comic accurate do you want the costume? Given who they've cast, I want as much bare chest as possible in that mm-hmm. costume. I, I, as much as possible. I understand when I asked that question. That's not what I was referencing until I, <laughs> it finished coming out of my mouth. Then I understood where you were going. I meant how big is the headpiece going to be? Because it is typically him and, and Hawk Girl's headpieces are three wide. <laughs> three of them wide. I'm thinking it'll probably be a little bit more restrained. I want him to have that. to turn sideways to walk through doorways. <laughs> Look, all I hope is it does not obscure too much of his face, because to my point, absurdly handsome. Yes. So I'm very happy about this. I could see. Yeah. I mean, look, beyond just my my perpetual thirstiness, he is also really good. And so this is exciting for him to get like a pretty mainstream role mm-hmm. um, to help push him out there. But yeah, I mean, look, that movie is shaping up to be you know pretty good. We got we got The Rock. We got Noah Centineo. We got some Aldous Hodge. We got a few more roles to get cast still. Who... Who have they announced that we're still missing? Uh, we are still waiting to hear the casting for uh, Dr. Fate and Cyclone, are the two other major members of the JSA as of yet to be cast. Okay. So, Dr. Fate will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because he'll be mostly CGI. Yep. Well, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, weirdly enough, Smallville actually did, I thought, did a pretty good job doing a live action version of that costume. I think they did too. Yeah. Uh, I am. I, I haven't seen the full version of Dr. Fate in, I don't know if they've done it yet, in um, Stargirl. Okay. Did they pause Stargirl? Or did I just stop watching it? I don't know. I don't remember I'm anymore. I'm watching Stargirl. I think, I don't know if they made it to a Dr. Fate character yet. Who knows? The helmet looked nice. They yeah, always have a nice nice golden helmet. Yeah. I want that helmet. I know you do. It will, it will look so good on my shelf. Just get that helmet then. I'm going to make that, I'm going to get that helmet. Get that helmet. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think it's ready to move on to uh, the meat of the episode here. Talking to Paradise Lost. Okay. No, I'll do. Can we so- sing Gospel Truth really quick? What? Can we sing Gospel Truth? I don't understand the reference. It's the opening song from Hercules. No. <laughs> no, Cameron, we can't. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> but yeah, so this is Paradise Lost, the first Wonder Woman centric episode of the Justice League so far. 
And, uh, and so this sees uh, Wonder Woman rescue a little girl from a hurricane, and then she becomes really homesick, misses her mom. So she travels back to Themyscira to see her mom, only to discover that the sorcerer Felix Faust has turned all of the Amazons, including her mom, Hippolyta, to stone. And so to save them, Wonder Woman must rescue three artifacts spread across the world. Mm-hmm. I don't like the look of Felix Faust. Why? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I I feel like other iterations I like more, but now that I think about it, I think I'm thinking of a different character. You probably are. Who yeah. is the other magician that usually works with um, the little kid? Clarion the Witch Boy? Yes. Oh. In Young Justice, there's an episode where Clarion tries to steal dr fate's helmet yes and steal no nobu nobu yes right yes kill nobu kill yes sure <laughs> and I'm, he has the magician sidekick the who's also the same yeah he has the magician sidekick who's like the buff magician i'm i and i thought it was felix faust but I'm, now i realize it is probably not felix it's faust. somebody else yeah yes I don't know who that is, to be honest. I thought it was that guy. Okay, I'll it's, leave you to look that up. Uh, I'll look it up. <laughs> yeah, it... Uh, I... Th- there is an interesting story here. About I, a very lazy villain. Yeah, it... So, my major takeaway from this episode was how padded out it feels oh fucking does name is abracadabra oh oh that's right yeah that's that's stupid yeah um (laughs) like and i've been kind of noticing this even from the last few episodes that you know we're we're always talking about i mean you in particular always talking about how much you want to have two-parters everywhere yeah and my my reservation of making two-parters is sometimes they have to just put in a bunch of stuff to pad out time and I feel like we're really seeing that in these first few episodes of Justice League. And maybe it's also because I, like the last time I watched this stuff was watching Justice League Unlimited, which mm-hmm. had like really like tight, precise, fast storytelling in half, mostly half hour formats with like long form storytelling. Yeah. Well, um, they have so many characters that have yeah. to do something. Yeah. Whereas here it's just like, over these two episodes, it's just a bunch of like fistfights. It's just like nonstop fistfights, the whole thing. It's like uh, one of them has to fight a giant statue to steal one piece of this this artifact. Who I think is supposed to be Achilles. But she takes him out of the knee, not at the heel. Yeah, but it was close. Mm. And I don't know any other Greek myths that deal with leg injuries okay but also you being mr like expert greek mythology but i'm not i don't want to put that title on my head i mean you that's kind of how you market yourself no no we're we're not putting i'm not giving myself that title but as you should recall the reason why it's achilles heel is his weak point is because he's like dipped in like immortal goo but they held him by his i mean immortal goo is is the the it's a special river that i don't remember the name of because it's not the river sticks Whatever. And it's where his mom held him held him. And yeah, that's where Paris shot him in the in the heel. Exactly. So it's not like it's not Achilles knee, Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Achilles, Achilles kneecap. Heel. No, his his <laughs> kneecap is just as invulnerable as almost all of the rest of him. Until he turns like forty five and then it really starts to act up. That's the first thing to go. I'm yeah. already having knee problems, man. Mm-hmm. Fucking thirty one. <laughs> 
what is happening to me? I mean, honestly, it's it's probably for the best that he got taken out early, so he doesn't have to real like, because like being immortal and also having back problems, you know, that's just never gonna go away. That's no, not. It's just gonna get worse. Does he stay like super pretty when he's immortal? I mean, he's he still he ages. Yeah, right? he's still human. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is like the the ambiguous thing about how they portray like any sort of semi immortal character. It's like they seem to age normally up until they reach like. Like peak hotness. Peak hotness, adulthood. And yeah, then they like 26, stay, 7, 8. Yeah, they just stay that way forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the Dragon Ball Z format. I don't, I'm not. I, we, we've already been running long. I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not letting you go down Dragon Ball Z territory. <laughs> not letting it happen. I, I'm the last line of defense against your Dragon Ball Z rants. That's fair. I actually, let me rephrase that. I am all of the lines of defense against your Dragon Ball Z rants. So you're the you're the Saiyans against Frieza and the attack Shut on Planet Shut up, no, Planet we're not Vegeta. doing it. I'm cutting all that out. <laughs> <laughs> I have the edit control camera <laughs> at the end of the day. Like Frieza? It, shut up. So it's, you know, but it's like fighting a giant statue that's probably not Achilles. Fighting a giant snake. Like Superman and Wonder Woman are tricked into fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Even in part two, they fight an army of the undead. And you're just like, I'm not invested but, in any of these fights. This is the first time we saw Martian Manhunter not fall immediately. That's true. He does punch something and win. But before... I think this is his first solo victory, because Flash didn't do anything. But before he does punch something, he does get like... Oh, he gets knocked out. He gets knocked out for a hot second. It is... I, I did write this down. It is to his weakness, though. So I will give him credit for getting hurt, because he is hit by fire. It is fire, yeah, which does mm-hmm. help a little bit. Um, but it's just like, I, I don't know, th- this, they felt like they really dragged the story out. Like, this feels like the story probably could have been done in one episode. I, maybe. I think that it should have been a rat race format. Well, of course you do. <laughs> I want them to race Faust to collecting the artifacts. I mean, that would have made the stakes feel a little bit higher here and would have faded because he's such a lazy villain. Yes, he is. Yes. He, he turns everyone to stone using a Gorgon medallion, yeah. Gorgon medallion, mm-hmm. um, which he, he gives Wonder Woman 24 hours. Yeah. They say something at the end of the episode cause everyone turns back it in the morning. They're like, Oh, Faust just stopped using his magic. I think it's because the spell only lasted 24 hours. I think so. And that's yeah. why he only, that's why they had the time limit. Which makes the whole episode kind of pointless. Yes. But again, he's the laziest villain. Yeah, because he just gets Wonder Woman to do the job for him. Mm-hmm. But you put it up before the show, like, it wasn't that hard to get those other ones. He picked the hardest one. Yeah. He, he picked the one that took seizing a country instead of like, okay, I'll go break into the mall. Yeah. Because that one specifically, it would have done nothing to him. No, there's no one. There's no other person unless like he sees the janitor, which I would love. <laughs> that janitor would not have lasted very long. Yeah. Uh, the serpent one, you know, serpents like evil things. He's a magician. He could just been like, bippity boppity boop. And it becomes a turtle. Yeah. And done. Turn it to stone. Turn everything to stone. That's true. He can't, <laughs> every obstacle he comes across, he could just turn to stone. Yes. You have a, a Medusa head in your hand constantly. <laughs> Use it. Don't be so lazy. He is. He is particularly lazy. Like his motivations, a little bit soft. Um, we get a little more of that in in part two, but it's just there wasn't a lot in th- this half of the episode in particular that I felt was really 
that captivating. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there were some little moments here and there that were kind of fun. It's like the the little girl that one woman saves. Uh, her name is Cassie, which is very likely a reference to Cassie Sandsmark, who's Wonder Girl in the comics. Yes. Um, I did like when Batman is trying to figure out more about Felix Faust and he goes to interrogate like the guy's colleague and he has this awesome moment of like lightning flashes in the distance and him, Batman being Batman, just like times it perfectly to open up his cape so the lightning flashes and he has this amazing silhouette. How long do you think he was holding that pose though? So long. Yes. He's a man of precision. Like 30 minutes at least. I mean, the man has incredible muscle control. So I, I bet... He, because he also had to wait for the other professor to be in the right spot. Yeah, because there was probably a lightning strike that came like right as he was parking into his parking lot. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Shit! Like, come on! Like, I gotta. Well, I, they need me." <laughs> this is Batman, right? So I'm pretty sure what he did is he probably called someone to then have the professor brought to his office late at night. Mm-hmm. The guy wouldn't have been there under any other circumstances. He probably like. I don't know, like calls in some sort of thing that then necessitate emergency. It's like, oh, oh, it's just what he did. As Bruce Wayne, he called, it's like, hey, like I am trying to like go on like this philanthropy binge and I want to do a bunch of money to your ancient mythology, whatever research cause. Um, but we have to meet tomorrow morning, like 9 a.m. Um, so hopefully you're prepared with a bunch of like slides and decks to convince me why you should get my money. Forcing this guy to then go into his office like 11 o'clock at night in the middle of this massive thunderstorm just so he can shock him. I thought you were going to go on the other side where like he had to generate a fake lightning bolt and he had to call like night wings. Like, hey, I have this projector. It's like very harsh light projector that I need you to shine right behind me exactly at the right time and Batgirl, you're going to be on drums and you're going to like, you know, we need, we need the thunder cue as well. It's like, Batman, isn't this a little overkill? Like the thunder cue of lightning. Let's time this to be about three and a half miles away. So right as the light goes, you have three and a half seconds to, to smack the drums. We get an accurate timing of distance V light. I love this, like, this is your theater kid side coming out right now, this, like, elaborate precision timing. Yes. I was going to say he could always just, you know, have bought the weather wizard technology. No. I mean, look. Bruce Wayne doesn't use other people's technology. Yeah, he absolutely does. Name once. I, I bet you, <laughs> hmm, I'm pretty sure that, like, the, the technology in the Javelin is built off of the hyperdrive technology from Superman's ship that was then used by Star Labs. I forgot about Star Labs. Yeah. He does like Star Labs. He likes the, He definitely steals shit from Star Labs all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he would totally shamelessly <clears throat> just like... Because, look, Gotham has like a disproportionate amount of like lightning strikes. Yes. Like, I'm sorry. That has to be like man-made at certain points. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he just has weather wizard technology. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, whenever it's like a full moon, he's like, well, shit, they're going to see me. Yeah. So he's like, we'll just add some clouds. But actually, he just leans into the full moon thing. If he knows it's a full moon, then he just like always makes sure to strike like from the direction of the full moon. That's so true. So he's silhouetted in the moon when he hits someone. That is very true. Yeah. The man's precise all the way through. Who is his theater teacher? <laughs> well, the greatest theater teacher, whoever that would be. Patrick Stewart? Sure, yes. <laughs> yeah, actually. That, yeah. All right. I'm done with that. So it's like, it's got little moments here and there, but overall, it's like, it, there's nothing in this episode that could have been done in the next one because the the cliffhanger here is we realize that faust is working for hades and then it's like you know the the cliffhanger moment we jump into part two 
Um, because then in part two, while they're investigating Faust, they realize that he's trying to unite these three artifacts to form a key that will open the pit of Tartarus and unleash Hades on the world. Yes. They could have just done that in a half hour. Like, they could have skipped the part where they have to, like, find multiple pieces, and it could have been literally one piece. It could have been one woman shows up, everyone's been turned to stone, Felix needs the key, she has to go get it, she goes up against the league who are trying to stop her. They agree to come like surprise helper. They show back up with them obscure. And then the rest of the like thing plays out as it did here. This is all could have been 22 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that wonder woman Superman got to fight for like 17 minutes. I, but yeah, but also like they were just in the, the guise of these generic looking monsters. We mm-hmm. get like a glimpse of them like actually fighting each other. Like that, that animation was done clever. That it's just constantly showing from one character's point of view they're fighting this monster, and we, we realize pretty quickly what's going on there. But yeah, we don't actually get to see like the two of them like properly fight. I also like I don't love it when heroes are tricked into fighting each other because there's no stakes. As soon as they realize what they're doing, the fight ends. I'm much more compelled by like them having like a clash of ideology, rather uh, yeah, than civil war. Yeah, exactly. Like civil war does a really good job with that, or um, you know, the the Dark Knight Returns comic does a really good job with that, and then the, yeah. the adaptation oh, too, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, like yeah, a, you yeah. know a, a pretty much spot for spot adaptation. Like that's compelling to me. But just like, oh, you look like a demon, and you look like a praying mantis lady. I'm I mean, in in sure. that sense, though, there is there is another conflict of ideology of like Superman doesn't kill and Wonder Woman does. So yeah, Superman will always hold back a little bit where Wonder Woman doesn't care. I would agree with you, except for the fact that uh, we've seen repeatedly all characters in this universe will kill animals and aliens. No problem. That is true. <laughs> that is true. So with that, before the Justice League shows up on Themyscira, Wonder Woman has her speech of like, we have our, our sole rule of Themyscira is no man can touch foot here. Yeah. I have a few thoughts about that. Okay. Can you gender aliens? Yes. Is 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 Martian Manhunter a man? I I think in well, I think in this case we we have seen that the Martians do have male female approximate genders. Mm-hmm. We don't know their their full biology. Um also, should we be slightly more... I guess we should refer to it the, as their sex, not their gender, right? Yes. 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 Sorry. Okay. Their sex. No, no, that was on me, too. So, yeah. So, I think, yes. The Martians do have... Uh, seemingly have distinct biological sexes that we will attribute to being uh, proxies of male and female. Mm-hmm. So, he is a man. So, they have to be more specific, though, with that rule, then. Is it Earth men? <laughs> Galactic men? Well, I mean, they even make a reference to it in the show, like, you know, men are from Mars, right? Yeah. So. And then Superman has the same issue. And they also have the rule no man can step foot. Right. So why don't they just get Martian Manhunter, Superman, GL, to just, like, hover over Themyscira during this entire fight sequence? Perfect. Yeah. Problem solved. That is actually a very substantial loophole mm-hmm. to work around. Also... Someone must have, like, brought that up at some point. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I guess someone has brought it up in, like, our world. In their world, like, there's so few, it never happens. So there's no one to be like, um, actually. That's why I need to be in this world. That's why I need to be in this universe. 
Also, if Batman were to use his glider pack, he could totally not set foot there either. Why does they never use his glider pack in Justice League? They only use it in New Batman Adventures. Yeah. I feel like it would be very useful in this show where they're constantly having to fly like I, short distances. I, I bet it's because it's so much slower than everybody else that he doesn't want to like appear to be the slowest of the group. So he'd rather just piggyback off someone else or just take his jet and do a big circle. <laughs> I mean, it it is kind of funny that like Batman, who is a very like image and ego driven character is okay. Just like literally like, getting carried around all the time. Uh, yeah. I mean, he doesn't enjoy it. No, he clearly doesn't. No. You, you feel like he would have invented some sort of gadget. Like, I don't know, his backlighter that he already had to avoid that. No, he invented, he, someone invented the Superman backpack and he fired them. <laughs> <laughs> True. The Bat Bjorn. I just want to see that now. <laughs> I just, someone must have made a comic at some point of Superman carrying Batman around in a baby Bjorn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> but okay. Wait, before I look it up, I should give you something to go on a tangent on. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, let, me, let me warm up. Yeah, get, yeah, get warmed up here. So, okay, the, the whole point is that Hades has been imprisoned in the pit of Tartarus, and they they give the full backstory of him. And I don't know Greek mythology that well, but apparently, like their explanation of Greek mythology here is mostly just like Christian mythology, right? Yeah. So the way they explain it in this episode is Hades upset with having just the underworld under his domain is trying to take over Olympus and give it to the Titans. Uh, the former gods, or the, the the parents, I guess, the boomers of the Greek mythological mythological world. Okay. Um, and because of that, Zeus banished him to Tartarus, which is where they banished the rest of the Titans, specifically their dad, whose name I don't remember right now. Mm-hmm. Who, wait, who wait, did that I, come from? I thought I thought it was when I was like reading up this episode. I thought it was that they um, Zeus. Poseidon, right? Mm-hmm. And Hades each drew straws to who got what domain. That is, that's the real mythology. Oh, okay. So you're explaining. Yes. I was looking at Batman, Superman, Baby Bjorn, and there's a lot of like Baby Bjorns out there with Batman, Superman like that's, yeah. images. I have yet to find one of Superman carrying Batman in a Baby Bjorn. But if you're out there and you have seen this somewhere, please send it to us. Or if someone wants to just draw it for us. Yeah, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Please do. Um, no, in, in the real in the real mythology, after they defeated their dad whose name I still can't remember. That's yeah, fine. Um, they basically just drew straws and Hades got the, the shit straw and has yeah. the underworld while Zeus has land, Poseidon has sea, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Um, and usually they're pretty equal in the balance. Okay. And I don't think any God has ever been sent, has been banished to Tartarus. It's usually meant for the Titans and for unruly um, humans. Yeah. So, like, obviously, the most famous Tartarus trip is Sisyphus. Oh, he's in Tartarus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's oh. his, his punishment is in Tartarus. I, I just knew that he was constantly pushing the, the rock of a boulder. I didn't realize that was done in Tartarus. Yeah, so they sent him to the underworld, uh, and Hades had sent someone to, like, chain him up, and uh, Sisyphus tricked the demon and chained him up instead and went back to Earth to continue being king. Mm-hmm. And then Zeus took over and was like, hey, you're not going to fuck with my family. You're just going to go straight to the straight to the bad place. Yeah. Uh, and then he got out 
And then Hermes was the one that finally caught him and put him back in the bad place. Oh my God. And he's the one that, that set up the, the boulder situation. Oh, okay. I didn't know all that about it. I didn't know he was so wily. Yeah. That he kept escaping. Yeah. I think there's like six humans, pretty much all kings. Okay. That, that have been sent to Tartarus. The second one that I started to read was like, this king cut up his kid and served it in a dinner. And I'm like, nope, don't need to read any more of this. Read more. Uh, I mean, because what, what I've always loved about like the the myth of Sisyphus is just the idea of like this this unending obstacle, this Sisyphusian task. Yes, f- favorite phrase of mine. But what I love is, as you've just explained, like him finally getting to that is almost like Sisyphusian in its own right. Like he just kept escaping and kept getting brought back. It's yeah. just the same shit over and over again. <laughs> it's a very meta element too. I didn't even know. It is. I very much appreciate that. Uh, oh, and also in the DC version, um, Hades and Hephaestus had a relationship. Uh, and you also it is... Hippolyta? Hippolyta, thank you, yeah. sorry. Uh, Hippolyta had a relationship. And I think, I don't know if it was said in this, but Hades was the one that um, carved Diana from the from the clay. Yeah, I think but that's... But didn't, she didn't have life until after his banishment. Yeah, that's in a later episode. Okay. It's, it's also JLU, I think, actually, we get that piece of info. Okay. Yeah, because I was kind of waiting for that to be revealed here, but they just reference the relationship, but they don't talk about the outcome of it, which was we will eventually learn will be Diana. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also, I kind of get it. Like Hades is a dish. I I was surprised that it was Hades in the story. I was expecting it to be Ares because I feel like he's always the one they pull oh, up it's against. Usually, yeah, it is usually Ares. So because he takes the helmet off, and I was expecting like that to be the twist of like. <gasps> It's not Hades. Yeah. No, and I'm like, oh, no, it's it's just a hot hot demon. Yeah. Hot demon boy. I mean, like, not normally my type, but, like, he, he's quite handsome. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, until he's not. Yeah, until he turns into a three-tongued dog monster. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum, but not my bag. Yeah. I mean, put a bag over it. Still got those muscles. <laughs> Worth considering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, they, they kind of just turned him into a Lucifer story, where yeah. he tried to take over god and was banished to the the bottom of hell yeah but i feel like that is a pretty common thing that happens right like anytime someone's adapting like a a pretty greek myth it's primarily based off of like christian mythology Mm -hmm. and they just put in the the greek names around it yeah i mean they do with everything norse especially yeah norse mythology is fucking weird yeah uh the seas the the from what i remember there was a the the dad god, uh, whose name I don't remember, basically fell asleep and he became the earth, uh, and the oceans came from his night sweats. Oh, okay. and they're like, yeah, the oceans emerged from his armpits. Oh wow, wow, that's, mm-hmm. um, huh. yeah, explains why it's so salty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you, who, who thought of this? <laughs> why was this the first thought? Or were there no revisions? <laughs> no one thought to do another pass on this mm-hmm. at any sort of point. Yeah. It's like, I mean, did it bother you watching this episode that they had so, like, greatly changed up the Greek mythology? Uh, no. I, I, I forget that they're, like, the real gods and not just, like, a subset of villains. And so then once that is revealed, it, it feels a little more different. But I mean, no, it's it's its own world. Yeah, it's true. It kind of just does its own mm-hmm. thing. Also, is is it in this series where Be- or Superman does his thing, his line of like, "There's only one God, ma'am," 
Where's that from? That's from Captain America. That's from the... Um, the it's, right. It's, it's from the first Avengers movie. You're totally right. Yeah, it's like there's only I'm one god man, I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Yeah. Yeah. I had to forget about that. But, I mean, to be fair, like, the Captain America of the Marvel movies is our, like, one of the best on-screen Supermans we've had yet, mm-hmm. so... Just like Hercules. Just like Hercules, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, I mean, the overall idea here, I think, is pretty solid, right? It's like diving a little bit more into Wonder Woman's background, reconnecting with her with her mom, throwing in Hades. I think he is uh, the right scale villain to go up against, you know, a good amount of the Justice League. Again, for me, it's just like the fact that it got dragged out over two episodes. I was really bored through a lot of this. Less so in the second part. The mm-hmm. second part I thought was like a lot tighter and more interesting. Yeah, and um, then, it, then it just turned into how do we get Hades back in the hole? Exactly, yeah. And to that, they just smash the key and then everything gets sucked back in which feels like the wrong way to handle that i feel like breaking the key would keep the door open open yeah there's there's definitely some uh, conveniences happening here like to exactly to your point of like you break the key everything gets sucked back in or as you mentioned earlier even like the sun comes up and then it's weird like when all the the amazons are freed it's because one the sun comes up so we assume that it's like a 24-hour thing to your point but the explanation is like, no, it was because Felix is dead. And so his magic no longer works. Yeah. Um, oh, so yeah, I, I guess I forgot about that. What Felix wanted from Hades was all the knowledge of the universe. Ultimate knowledge, yeah. Yes. And that basically came down to man's greatest knowledge is death. And suffering. Yeah. Which I did think was a pretty good response on Hades' part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of true, though, isn't it? Like, I feel like knowledge is just suffering. Yeah. I mean, that that's what what's the, the curve? That everyone's been talking about recently. The what? When you, it's the the graph. When you first learn about something. The bell curve? No. It's, it's, a th- it's a theory. But it's like when you first learn about something and that those first like two weeks of knowing, you feel like you know everything. Yeah. And you're at the top. And then the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And so you go down in your confidence level. It's like confidence v. knowledge graph. Oh, okay. I and mean- so you hit like a bottom point of knowledge first confidence and then you start to like understand all the the principles and theories of the subject you're learning about and then you start to get that confidence back mm-hmm. there's a word for it i don't know i mean i i mean that sounds semi-related to the dunning-kruger effect that's what it is is that i guess is that an extension because i've always seen the dunning-kruger as like um those who know less boast that they know more yeah confidence for confidence v knowledge oh, okay well, there you go dunning-kruger yes thank oh, you oh, look at that mm-hmm. So wait, where's Hades in the Dunning-Kruger scale then? No, I was saying that's the, uh, the more you know, the more upset you feel about it. Because okay. that, that, I guess I've always, I've always heard it more. It's like the more you know, the less you claim to know. Mm-hmm. But I guess, yeah, that's all kind of related. Yeah. Great. You know, it's, it's the uh, speak quietly and carry a big stick. That's not, that's not, no, I don't think that's quite the same thing. Yes, it is. No, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the... The actual name Dunning-Kruger did not exist in the time of Theodore Roosevelt. It didn't. Who is that quote is attributed to. Yes. And also, I think, yeah. No, I, I don't think speak softly and carry a big stick is a generally good philosophy to carry through in life. No, it is not. No. <laughs> it is very, like, 1960s rebel without a cause. Yeah, exactly. So. Okay, okay. I'll throw out the other my other quote. Um, Talk less, smile more. Yes. <laughs> Uh, a happy, a happy ending only depends on where you end the story. Oh, I, 
like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because most stories end up being terrible in the end. Mm -hmm. That's evidenced by like every movie that's a sequel to something from 20 years ago. And reality. And also (laughs) reality. Yes. Well, and actually that is rather like apropos of this episode because we, we have the seemingly happy ending of Hades getting sucked back into hell. Um, and then all of the heroes, all the Justice League are presented with awards for their, their valor and heroism and saving Themyscira. Mm-hmm. And then... Heroism? Great. Well done. Thank you. That's for you. <laughs> Thank you. I, no, I appreciate it. It was good. I'm just a little bit mad that I didn't come up with it first. Yeah. You gotta get on it, Chris. You bastard. Uh, you need to include these things in the, the script. Well, I still need my moments. Mm-hmm. I can't give it all to you. I mean, it's fine. I just cut out your moments anyways. In the yeah. Edit. Uh, <laughs> you edit, post edit your version on top exactly. of it. The audio doesn't sync up at all. I'll just throw it in. Uh, but no, but the, the very end is because Wonder Woman um, brought men to Themyscira. She is banished. Mm-hmm. It's a very sad ending. It is. Yeah. And I, uh, I, but now she has her new family. She does have her new family, but like, I didn't really love these episodes, but like, I think that moment speaks a lot about Diana's character. Mm-hmm. Um, that she like she knew, she kind of had to know the risk she was taking bringing in help. Yeah, she accepted her fate. Yeah, it was it was basically like either the world ends, and like either she gives Faust the key, which then frees her people, but then the whole world's gonna end, or she doesn't give Faust the key and all of her people die and the world is saved. It's you know, very much a no-win situation. So the only way she could win was to bring in help. Um, but probably did that knowing that this was always a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it just speaks to her character, that, like that strength of will that she has, that she'll still do the right thing, even if it means at her own detriment. Yeah. I mean, and they all do, pretty much. Yeah. It's kind of like, I suppose, like the definition of a hero, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, there, there are two things that we learned, I guess one thing we learned and I have a question for you after, mm-hmm. uh, it is confirmed that, that she has been away for eight months. Yeah. So they, they have been together for just under a year. Uh, and my question for you is what do you think Batman's zombie protocol looks like? Oh, cause we see him fighting zombies and it looks like he already knows what he's doing. Well, I mean, he's got his background i don't even say training. zombies i guess they're they're living skeletons yeah it's an undead situation yeah i mean he is a master swordsman even if he doesn't often show it mm-hmm. so that'll be good for for beheadings i i did also love that he thought a batarang would do something against a literal god <laughs> i mean not even like a trick batarang this was just a, a straight up normal batarang he's only got so many things look maybe his strategy there is to just be distraction like, he knows that everyone else in that room is way more powerful than he is, but he can distract and lure the villains into going after him to let someone else come in with the big hits. Yes, a sense of security on the yeah. villain's part. Everything he does is for a reason, Cameron. That's true. How dare you doubt Batman or Lord I would never. Lord I would and never. Savior. Uh, so, yeah, how do, how do you think he's prepared for zombies? Um, well, I mean, he clearly, I'm sure within the Batcave, he's got like a massive underground bunker that we never see. He probably doesn't tell you. And the Batcave itself is a massive underground bunker. But he probably has a bunker within a bunker. Okay. A sub Batcave that probably only he and Alfred know about. Mm-hmm. Probably never even. Probably checked. just he knows about. That's actually true. Yeah. He just mm, doesn't even tell Alfred. Yeah. He's, he's willing to throw <laughs> Alfred to the wolves. Or in yeah. this case, zombies. Um, I think he's got that. He's got his sword skills to fall back on to like behead people. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably just like lots of batarangs. Some exploding yeah. batarangs to blow them up. Yeah. 
Why? What do you think his bat protocol? I don't. I don't I'm. I'm still trying be. to figure it out. Because I feel like initially he would just already have a cure. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, mm-hmm. he did go up against um, an undead enemy in the episode Avatar with mm-hmm. Raza Ghoul. And no, I'm not letting this be an opening for you to talk about. No, I'm not. I, 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 wasn't. I, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like that would be his his cue to like, oh, okay, so mummies can come back. I need to figure out how to stop that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless it happens to me, then I will stay immortal forever. Of course. Yeah, but well, actually, I don't know because he refuses to go in the Lazarus pit. That is true. So, but again, that leads back to my theory that he doesn't like using other people's technology. We've already disproven that theory. But I will disprove our dis- disproving. Great. It's great. Yes. He won't use a Lazarus pit because of like the moral implications of it. Because Ra's al Ghul used it first. He's not a sloppy seconds kind of guy. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I mean, the thing that kind of sucks is at the end of the day, we're probably going to have to include this on our short list because the Diana banishment thing would be pretty canonically critical. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of sucks because overall this was not great. Yeah, but I, you know, I, like you said, I think we needed it. Yeah. I like seeing Wonder Woman's backstory and, yeah. and her, because we have all these new characters that they that for the time were new to so many kids. Yeah. So we need true. we need to know what they're doing here. And actually that does raise a very good point is that within the first um three stories beyond the pilot, we've basically gotten not necessarily the backstory of John Stewart, but we've learned a lot about his specific world mm-hmm. in Blackest Night. And then now we're getting all of Wonder Woman's background too. I mean even even the pilot you consider Martian Manhunter. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, Martian Manhunter yeah, themed so. episode, GL episode, Wonder Woman episode. Yeah, and Aquaman will be recurring to some degree, so we got like all the background on Outrageous. him too. Outrageous. Uh, you know, and we won't really get um Hawkgirl until the uh, the Just League finale, mm-hmm. Starcross, which we're constantly referencing. Yes. Obliquely. Um and we kind of already know the Flash. We never because we never really get background on the Flash, do we? No, 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 not no. that I can remember. But I guess we don't, we don't necessarily need to. His, he runs fast. We get he runs it. fast, yeah. His, his background, his mythology doesn't have so much going on that it needs like, a whole explanation. You know what they should give him? It's what? just like an intro rap, like Danny Phantom. Great. Yo, Barry Allen, he was just 14. It's Wally West. <laughs> it's Wally West, Cameron, as we well know. Uh, any other thoughts on these? Uh, no, I, I'm still trying to figure out what Batman's zombie protocol is. Okay, well, while you're thinking about that, shall we move on to some bat plugs here? Let's do it. All right. Uh, Cameron, what do you got for us this week? What's your plug? I watched Enola Holmes this week. How was the it? The new Netflix movie, The Sherlock Sister. Yeah. It is delightful. Okay. It is so wonderful. And I it came out on Wednesday. I watched it amidst all of... Th- the shitty news that was coming out. And honestly, it was nice just to see the good guys win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was really comforting for a minute. Uh, but no, Millie Bobby Brown is great. It, it feels like this, this cool intersection between, um, oh, how did I describe it? It's, it's half the Guy Ritchie's Sherlock's mm-hmm. and half like, um, oh my God, what was the other thing I was comparing it to? It's fourth wall breaking a lot. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, damn it. What was the other? I, I can't remember it anymore. Clarissa it is, explains it all. Yes. Dora the Explorer. Uh, 
no, Millie Bobby Brown is great. Uh, we don't see her much, but Helen Bonham Carter is the right. mom, uh, and she's great. And then, of course, Henry Cavill is an amazing Sherlock. Mm. I hope they continue this world just to follow that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is very, very fun. Sorry, the thirst is very strong over here in this half of the couch. Understandable. Yeah, we're talking Aldous Hodge. We're mm-hmm. talking Henry Cavill. We've got a Sam Claflin thrown in there, too, right? He's Mycroft, right? Sure. Yeah. No, he's pretty dreamy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, the movie is so much fun. I I was nervous for a bit because they like hint at a relationship aspect like thirty minutes in. It's also a long movie. It's over two hours, which I was not expecting. Yeah, but it's, it's worth surprising. it. Yeah. Um, they hint at like a romance, and it kind of detracts a little bit, but then it 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 picks back up after. Okay. That. I mean, that is an incredibly charming ensemble cast right mm-hmm. there. Very British. Well, you know, you know how much I love everything British. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So highly recommend just like a great afternoon film. Mm -hmm. Make yourself some popcorn. Maybe a cup of tea. Yeah. Have a cuppa. Mm -hmm. Have a cuppa. Mm. Yeah. That's my plug. What have you been watching, listening, reading? Nice. Uh, I watched this week uh, the latest DC animated movie, Superman Man of Tomorrow. How is it? I was a little disappointed by it. Okay. Unfortunately. Um, it there's a lot of good stuff in there. It's a really great voice cast. Uh, the animation's really fantastic. Um, I think it's it, it seems to be like loosely based off of a combination of Superman Earth One and then also Max Landis's. I think it's Superman American Alien. I want to say comic run, which I haven't read. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it's a lot about Clark feeling alien on Earth. Um, and to kind of heighten that sense of his, no pun intended here, alienation, um, you know, it includes Parasite, Lobo, and Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a cool ensemble of characters that do, do a good job with everybody being in there. Um, I, I guess it's just like, it, it just felt so slow. The pacing, something about the pacing was really, really off. Like, it didn't feel propulsive it felt like scenes just really dragged out and it's not really long it's it's on par with the rest of them like an hour 45 or so mm-hmm. but just yeah i i maybe i'll i ended up buying it off of itunes i'll go back at some point and rewatch it again i just was kind of bored through the whole thing which is disappointing oh, yeah considering that like all the pieces are there but just something didn't feel Quite right. And, and if anyone listening to this has, has watched it and had a similar reaction, or I'd be very curious if someone had a different reaction. They did find it really engaging. I'd love to know why, but like, or maybe you can help explain to me why it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't hit, hit in the right spot. Click. Yeah. So I was, I was a little bit um, disappointed in it at the end of the day. I, I think it's still worth watching. I think there's really good stuff in there. Um, you know, the, the story is really good. It's I, I, again, I can't figure out what went wrong there. Like, I feel like the script would have been pretty solid. So I don't know if it was just in the editing or in, in, in the direction, but, um, yeah. And I didn't necessarily feel like the energy was that's, there. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I, I think it's still worth giving it a watch. It's a good story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the animation is, is really fantastic. Good. Yeah. Uh, much better than like the, um, the new 52, the new 52 stuff. style stuff, which I was never the biggest fan yeah. of. I, I found my my analogy for Enola Holmes. Oh, thank God! That. Yes, we were all waiting with bated Well, because breath. I, I forgot why I thought this, and the editing style feels very like early Chris Columbus. Oh, okay. And so it's a cool middle ground between the Guy Ritchie Sherlock's and like the early Harry Potters. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. Okay. It is. All right. 
I'm on board. Mm-hmm. I'll give that a watch. Yeah, you should. Okay. Good. Great. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, then, having moved on from plugs, I think, at this point, do we want to plug Days of Thunder? No. No. We watched Days of Thunder last night. Uh, I've always heard it described as the Top Gun of NASCAR movies, and it was certainly trying to be Top Gun, but it falls very, very far it short. Was, it was, and we decided it's the cocktail of NASCAR movies. Did you watch Cocktail recently, right? <laughs> not recently, but I've seen it. Okay, you've seen it. I've never seen Cocktail. So it is it is, it is not the Top Gun of no. bartending movies. No, because look, Top it Gun It tried to be. It tried to be. Top Gun is super cheesy, but I think its cheesiness works. Mm-hmm. And Days of Thunder was just like, what is this? <laughs> what? It did keep us on our toes. We none of us knew what was going on. I mean, that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess on our toes in the sense that we were having to guess what was happening rather than being like mm-hmm. super engaged with the material. If anyone wants to watch this movie, I don't recommend it. But have a bet with your friends like we did and try oh. and guess how many montages you think is going to be in this movie. Yeah, exactly. You'd be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That was the highlight of us watching it was our, our montage bet. Yes, our Vegas over under of how yes. many montages were in this film. I feel like this is now maybe the only way I can get through like watching any like car themed racing movies with you guys <laughs> having to come up with some sort of like bet. And, and we said you owed us one because there's no fast this year. So you owed us one car. Oh, okay, fine. The, scaper. I, I will. I will. Accept, I will accept a like a much more brisk like hour and 45 minute long <laughs> 30 year old Tom Cruise NASCAR movie than watching a bloated three hour long Fast and the Furious drudge fest. You know what I realized this movie needed family oh i mean they talk about family a little bit in it they, a little and bit. isn't his pit crew kind of his family at the end his of the pit day crew is his family yeah uh, i mean you could also watch it for um nicole kidman's questionable accent and a very young michael rooker he looks very, great yeah he does he looks great i yeah michael rooker was quite handsome back in the day i mean he's still handsome in his own way now i guess but it's like yeah it, it had some moments oh and a very young john c Riley. Yes. Too. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily call that a full-on plug, I suppose. But we, we did watch that this last week. Um, all right. But Cameron, you got a question for us this week. I got a week. question for you, Chris. Yeah. Welcome back to Cameron's Question Corner. Yeah. We're, we're tucked in here to Cameron's Question Corner. Yeah. It, it's comfy it's, it's over there. comfy. We got some pillows. We made ourselves a cuppa. Mm-hmm. So, got a little fire going. Yeah. In the middle of the heat. Even though it's very hot right yeah. now. <laughs> um, so my question for you is, Chris, yes. and audience, Cameron. friends, family, um in 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 our in our in our real world in our current world uh we have a trend for musicians to kind of cover other musician musicians songs pretty often and we yeah. see it uh as i just learned recently the baja men's song who let the dogs out was covered eight times before the baja men version came out wait so there who are the there, dogs? there's is the eighth version of a cover of a song that came out in 1991. It was almost covered once a year until the Baja Men version came out. Isn't that nuts? It's not part of the question, but that's fucking nuts, right? That is world-shattering news. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know how to process that. There's a music historian that did like a mini-doc about like trying to find the origins of this song because like no one knows where it came from. Who recorded the original then? They don't... The, the, the most like... The earliest version they can find is a, is like a DJ from 1991 who says he didn't write it. He said he covered it. So no one knows the original version. What if the Baja men went back in time? I think they did. Yeah. 
They just kept trying. Honestly, that is as plausible as any other explanation for the existence of that song. Yeah. Yeah, look at the history of the <laughs> history of Let the Dogs Out. No, so, my, so my question is, that that is the only medium where that's like an accepted form of of like remake. So my question for you is, Chris, uh, if novels were covered in the same way in book form as music form, what author and story would you like to see covered by someone else? Yeah, this is... Let me just say a fantastic question. I've never heard this before. Thank I think you. It's a very clever idea because you're right. It's pretty, pretty much only music this is done in, except for occasionally in film. Mm-hmm. And the only example that comes to mind is when Gus Van Zant did a cover of Psycho and literally remade it shot for shot. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about this, and so the, the example you gave me would actually be one that I would want to read. Same. Yeah. Um, so the example you gave was Stephen King covers Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Now I I just read Jurassic Park. You did uh, within this last year. Um, I loved it. It's probably one of the best books I've read in years. Probably, it's one I would absolutely revisit, and I would consider it pretty high up my list of favorite books now. Um, and the reason that I think Stephen King would be interested in that one is I've actually only read one Stephen King novel, and it was eleven twenty two sixty three, which was the time travel story about trying to go back and stop the JFK assassination. Mm-hmm. And I'm much more of like a sci fi person than a horror person, which is why I read it. But what I liked about that book was though it's primarily like sci-fi in genre, it has the tone of a horror movie. Like he just, he just, he soaks up like this sense of dread and like dirty, gritty, grimy horror into every scene Mm -hmm. in a really interesting way. And that idea of like taking Jurassic Park, which could have a very, which is also very like sci-fi based and could have a horror element to it. And putting him in charge of it, I think, would be really, really interesting. Because um, what makes the Michael Crichton one, I think, so interesting is how deeply he dives into, um, like, chaos theory and the concept of, like, um, like fractals and how that all plays together. But mm-hmm. to have it have a total tonal shift would be interesting. So that would be one I would like to see. Um, but the other one I came up with was uh, Christopher Moore, who's my favorite author. Um, I read his book, Lamb, in high school for extra credit, actually, because I had an awesome uh, high school English teacher, Miss Smith. And it's the, so Lamb is the story of Jesus's life as told by his childhood best friend, Biff. Tannen? Yes, Biff Tannen. Uh, he went back in time. Good. Fucked, fucked everything up. Um, no, it's not Biff Tannen, but it is like. I'd read that story though. Oh, I totally would too. <laughs> but Christopher Moore, he's like a, a fantasy humorist is kind of the best way to describe his, his genre. So like okay. his first book is called Practical Demon Keeping. It's about this like guy who lives in like this fictional seaside town that's supposed to be kind of, kind of like Big Sur who um, like rubbed a candlestick when he was in his like early 20s and is now immortal because he has this demon following him around everywhere. And all of his books are in that same sort of like wacky fantasy space a little bit. Okay. Um, so, so Douglas Adams esque kind of, yeah, actually that's a, that's a, that's a good comp would be Douglas mm-hmm. Adams. Um, but it, I mean, his books are genuinely funny, but also very, very heartfelt and sincere. Um, and he, he's just an excellent writer. And, and I mean, I guess like a, a plug of sorts, like go read lamb. It, it's my favorite book of all time for like five times probably. Um, I would love to see him given his work as a, uh, a fantasy humorist to do Harry Potter. Damn it, because I said Douglas Adams to Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe there's a part of us that would just both really love anyone but J.K. Rowling to be connected to Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just kind of see like a, a more humor. Is he British? Uh, no, he's American. Okay. 
Yeah. So Douglas Adams put like a British twist. I and mean, it's already British. Yeah. But like really infused that dry British humor. Yeah. So I, I think there is some, I think there is something there. Like Harry Potter uh, is a really good world mm-hmm. and it would be fun to see someone come in and maybe take the story in a slightly different direction or apply like, you know, a sense of wry humor to it as well. But that, that is a very good shot. Douglas Adams doing Harry Potter. Cause I, I have one more uh-huh. because I want to see really, I want to see this author take all of Stephen King's work, but specifically I want a Dr. Seuss it. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So wait, you want to see Dr. Seuss cover it, it. Yes. <laughs> that is fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> or Stephen King doing the Lorax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen King's Cat in the Hat would be terrifying. <laughs> just, just get, they get. I mean, I know Doctor Seuss is dead, but like yeah. have them just completely switch, um, by uh, bibliographies. So that's the term for discography. I guess it would be bibliography, right? Yeah. Okay. Just switch worlds. Yes, that would be highly, highly entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A Stephen King Cat in the Hat would be nightmare. Yeah. Oh my! I'm scared of that already. But yeah, I think those two just need to just switch. I, yeah, I think you're right. I would love to see Stephen King cover anything Dr. Seuss and vice versa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yes. Uh, love that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as always with uh, Cameron's Crescent Corner, uh, listeners, if you have uh, some suggestions of books you'd love to see covered by another author, or if you have an idea for a question, uh, best place to reach us would be either Twitter or Instagram at TimTalkPod. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, notes from friends. <gasps> what are our friends saying today? Uh, so uh, James Strecker, uh, good old friend, James Strecker of the Everyone Watchtower go follow database. Watchtower database. Yes, go follow Watchtower database. Uh, he wrote in to let us know that the Imperium. This is off of our, our pilot episode from Justice League. Okay. The Imperium was just the one squid dude. The species is not the Imperium. Okay. No one knows what the species is called. Good. They're just referred to as like the alien invaders. More reason that they should, that the Green Lantern should know about this. Well, along those lines. Oh, no. <laughs> Adam, I'm not ready to eat my words. I'm not hungry yet. So, uh, also of the Watchtower database, beloved friend of the show, Matty Washburn. Mm-hmm. He, he did write into us, and I do apologize, Matty, because he actually wrote in like over a week ago, and I, I saw the message, and then I forgot about it, and he was kind enough to remind me. <laughs> Thank you, Matty. I need those reminders sometimes. <laughs> Um, but, uh, he did write in to say that as for Cameron's gripe about John not being prepared for the Imperium, it's my understanding that John was part of the GL Honor Guard in the DCAU, a sect of the Corps that isn't designated to one specific sector, but instead has jurisdiction over all sectors. Uh, and so Maddie's pretty sure, um, In this universe? Yeah. Because that's usually Guy's responsibility in the comics. Look, these... Guy's the Honor Guard. Yeah, but we're also... The DCAU is not the same as the comics. Yes. One. Yes, Guy doesn't exist. Guy does not exist in the DCAU that we know of. And also, like, Matt is, he's, like, in charge of, like, the timeline. Mm-hmm. He knows these things pretty well. Yes. If there is an expert on this, I do consider it to be him. Which also means he has the power to just, like, spin us total bullshit and we'd believe like it. Like this but, shit. But also, even him making up stuff is going to be better than us guessing at stuff. Let's be perfectly honest here. Um, so, but his point is that up until recently, Abin Sir was the guardian of Sector 2814, mm-hmm. and it could be very possible that he had intel on the situation, 
before being killed, um, but because the mantle was passed on to Kyle indirectly, who then left to go to Oa to train, um, no one ever bothered to explain what was happening with the alien invaders in the Imperium in that sector. Okay, two questions on that. Well, I can't answer them. I, I didn't. I didn't write this in, did Maddie, I? Maddie, Maddie, two questions for that for you. Um, when the Green Lanterns get intel on a planet, they upload it to their battery ring that shares it with the battery core of Oa to make it widespread across um, all the lanterns. So all lanterns have the ability to access information across all sectors, specifically set through um, Sarlek, I think is the, the lantern in charge of information. He's like the Guardian's secretary. Okay. Um so any information that Abensur had would have been uploaded to the Grand Battery for any other lantern to dissect afterwards. This is comics continuity, though, right? Yes, but that's just like general Green Lantern everything. We don't know that's true here. Mm-hmm. It may not be true here as well. Okay, part two of that question. Uh, the the Manhunter, and sorry, Mars was invaded 400 years ago. We can still assume that was that was Abensur's time. Yeah. Uh, so I don't blame GL for not catching that one. Or sorry, I don't blame John or Kyle or Hal even for, for not catching that one. Uh, I wouldn't even blame Abin Sir. We don't know how old Abin Sir is. I would guess maybe upper like 200s. So it would even be the lantern before him, which goes back to my gripe that is that is the Guardian's problem, that they didn't deal with this shit. They're, they're mass planet invading species. It's not just Mars they hit. They From the story, they've hit many planets before that. But also, as we've discussed, the Guardians sometimes just choose not to intervene on things. Yes. Seemingly without logic or reason. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of assholes. They're very much assholes. Yeah. So maybe they're just like, eh, we don't care. I also found out there's a buff Guardian who turned evil, and it's weird. Really? Yeah. Oh, I gotta look this up. You piqued my interest. Because <laughs> I forgot his name. Well, I'm going to have to try and check that down then because that sounds mm-hmm. intriguing. Um, but uh, Maddie also said, because we were talking about the Flash, we we're trying to figure out like what version of the Flash exists because we were talking about the fact that the Justice League version is, in fact, Wally West yes, and not Barry Allen. But I do seem to recall that in Justice League, there's a Flash museum. And so uh, to that point, he said the Flash family exists in the DCAU. Or to answer whether the Flash family exists in the DCAU, uh, the Flash museum has a Kid Flash outfit as well as a helmet that resembles Jay Garrick's. Uh, but according to Dwayne McDuffie, it wasn't actually Jay's helmet, though. Um, Krona is the oh, evil Cro- Oh, yeah. Oh, he, oh, yeah. He's got, like, an evil goatee thing happening Yeah, it's, it's like a half Guardian, half Sinestro. Yeah, oh, that's fucking weird. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, but anyway, so... Uh, um, the helmet isn't Jay's. The only Flash members that exist are Wally and an unnamed Kid Flash. Uh, that Flash Museum episode also features references to Wally's uncle, who comic readers might recall is, in fact, Barry Allen. Um, and the time material does expand and have multiple different speedsters, but a lot of it is at odds with stuff that we have seen in the shows. So I think we can kind of take it that in this universe, it seems like Wally West is the only Flash with a kid Flash somewhere out there who may have just been him when he was younger. We don't know. Got it. So, uh, and the last thing he had was that apparently the opening theme... Um, there's no evidence of this anywhere, but it does strongly resemble the theme from the 1971 film Twins of Evil. And I did listen to that theme, and it does sound like almost exactly the same. Interesting. Yeah. So I'll put that. What is that movie about? Uh, I think it's a Hammer horror film because it had um, Peter Cushing, who did a lot of Hammer movies. Um, But it's like, it looks like it's like 
two twin girls, like one who's good and one who's evil, or maybe they're both evil. I'm not sure. Okay, because I was, I was wondering, because there's another instance that I learned recently where the recess theme is actually pulled from an old Korean war film. And it's because oh, uh, the joke is that the, the playground is prison, or Wait. the school is prison. Is, uh, is it a Korean war film or is it The Great Escape? It's The Great Escape. Okay, yeah, that's a World War II film. Yes, sorry. Yeah, <clears throat> but though, that makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, it's a play. And especially if you remember the pilot of Recess, it is TJ getting uh, recess detention and all the kids trying to break him out. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I was wondering if it was it was another one of those like comparative things. Yeah, it could have been a coincidence or maybe like, one of them saw that movie as a kid and it just kind of stuck in the background and then they, uh, they made it there, mm-hmm. but it's good. Both of them are good themes. So, yeah. All right. And then our, our last note from friend here is, uh, is our dear friend, Ashley Clark, Hello, who, Ashley. uh, was saying that, um, when we were talking about the Louvre, our extended conversation about, oh, no. about the Louvre the other day, she, uh, she was sitting there thinking, have they never seen the ape shit music video? Have you seen that? No. So it's from, um, the Carters, AKA Beyonce and Jay Z. Okay. And so their song is Ape Shit, and the whole music video is shot at the Louvre. Of course it is. And um, so Ashley's saying that it's essentially like post colonial theory in a music video, and she's been watching some art analysis videos about the music video um, to like kind of learn more about like the history involved. And so I watched it today. It is a really good music video, it's okay. absolutely beautiful. Um, I don't know that much about art history. So I then like watched another video that kind of explained like why some of the pieces they choose to include are historically significant and what, what thematically thematical resonance it has with the music video. But like the opening shot is Beyonce and Jay-Z like standing still and wearing these fucking beautiful suits in front of the Mona Lisa. Okay. And so I think the, at least the video that I watched is saying like the idea there is that they like the Mona Lisa it are like, um, like a piece of art and of culture that people flock to, to get even just a picture of, which if that was the idea present, it certainly makes sense given the two of them. Um, but no, I thought that was just like an awesome thing. So I'll put, I'll put the link to the video, both the music video, at least the one video I watched explain a little bit of art history down in the show notes, but uh, it's worth checking out. It's really, really gorgeous. Okay. And like, honestly, who else, but the two of them could film at the Louvre the Spice Girls, the Spice Girls film at the Louvre. No, but they probably could. In the 90s, they probably could yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty awesome. It's worth checking out. Uh, but no, so thank you, James, Maddie, and Ashley for writing in. We always appreciate that. So, but like we said, if you've got thoughts on what we've talked about this week or if you have suggestions for our Cameron's Question Corner. Also, his name is Kronos, now that I just remembered it. Father of Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades, and the other gods. Took me well way too long. Well done, Cameron. Took me looking up Krona. The evil Owen <laughs> to realize that that is just Kronos, the the, hey. the Titan, the father of the gods. But you landed it in the end. I got it. I, I snuck it in. You got it in the end. Uh, yeah. Well, that means those of you who are who are getting ready to send us a tweet correcting Cameron. Yes. On who the Titan father of Zeus and Hades was. Hold your breath. You don't have to. And the other twelve gods. And the other twelve gods. But. If you were about to send us a picture of Superman carrying Batman in a baby Batbjorn, please, please yes. send it to us. You can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Yes. Uh, you can find me at Lordifer 
on Twitter and Instagram. I finally put up another Instagram post. You did. Recently. Uh, I've been starting to get back into building custom Lego sets, something I haven't done in like 15 years. Uh, and I'm going to say this. I'm pretty proud of my Batpod that I built. You should be. It's really good. It, I, I have to admit, it's probably one of the best things I've ever built. Yes, because um, it's fully custom. It is not off yep. a book or anything. Nope. Yeah, fully custom, off, off the dome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I was pretty proud of how they came out, but I will be posting more, uh, custom sets going forward. Might even share some of the ones that I built when I was a kid nice. on there as well. Yeah. So that, 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 my Instagram is just going to get very heavily Lego at this point going hey, that's forward. that's fine. Um, uh, but yeah, you can find me there. Cameron, where can they find you? Uh, if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. Uh, we're about to start October, which means it's time for me to once again, try the Inktober challenge. Yes. Uh, we will see if I can make it past day four. Should we get an over under going on how far you're going to get in there? Ooh, I want to say eight. Well, you can't participate in your over under. That would be <laughs> cheating. <laughs> that would be, wouldn't it? Sure. Yeah. People can put in their guesses. All right. Yeah. yeah. Here's yeah. Here's what we do. Write to us in the next week. Give, give us your over under and how many days. If into... you think I'm still doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When, when, uh, the, Next episode airs five days, no, six days into October. <laughs> well, I have already given up. Yes, but yes. Yeah, Most us, likely. Send us your over-unders on that, and we'll see who comes the closest. Yes. So, so be prepared for some scattered artwork over the next month. <laughs> uh, and then if you want to see my face, you can find that at Dexter underscore adventures. Well, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. That does it for us this week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, we shall be back. Next week with War World. Ooh. A Mongol, Mongol Yeah, it should be pretty good. So looking forward to that. Uh, but until then, thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Nailed it. Landed that plane. Yeah.